Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron. And today we're going to do something that I like to do, which is talk about military history. Not the big battles, not the, the things you study in school, but the stories of soldiers that have served. Whether it's in some huge battle or some heroic action, some Medal of Honor winner, those, those stories get told. What we don't always hear is the rest of the story, as as the old saying goes. So we have Robert Brooks. He's a historian. He's an author. And he's written a book. And he's got another one coming, so we're going to get to that. But he's got a fantastic story about Command Sergeant Major Ray Hooker. Cottrell. I I almost said that wrong. It's, It's Sergeant Major Ray Hooker Cottrell. And it's called From the Frozen Chosen to Churchill. It's a biography about somebody that served in Korea. And we we know about Korea. We've talked about it. The Frozen Chosen, the Forgotten War, the buffer war between World War II and Vietnam. It was a horrific place, a horrible event. But there's a lot of really interesting, amazing stories. And he was able to capture one. And so I'm really excited to have Mr. Brooks, come and join us on the show. He goes by Bobby, and welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we were talking, you didn't serve in the military, but you are a military historian. You love these stories. How in the world did that get started? Well, I lived next door in a Marine when I was a kid. As a teenager, my brother had a roommate that was also a Marine. He was a POW in Vietnam. We ended up working together and, and hanging with each other for about five or six years. And I've just kind of always been around it, for lack of a better description. And I think I kind of learned the language without really understanding it until later. I've just always had an affinity for it. But that isn't what brought me into writing. The, uh, the writing came about when I came across Ray Cottrell. And Ray runs a car dealership in Brandenburg, Kentucky. And he would come to my workplace, and I would see him fairly regularly, like once or twice a week. He'd bring in some family members. I found out that he was a Vietnam veteran. Then I found out he was a Korean veteran. And one day when he was away, his daughter-in-law came up to me and said, you know, he's part of the Frozen Chosen. Well, for me, that held my attention, because that's a term I'd heard several times. I've never done any research on so I go home, I look into it. I'm like, well, that's amazing. All these Marines up here in North Korea doing what they do. And I see Ray again a couple of weeks later, and he says, no, no, Bobby, I was, I was with the Army. Well, that held my attention even further because I couldn't find hardly anything. And he tells me I was with Colonel Faith. So I go look up Colonel Faith and RCT-31, and next thing you know, I realize I'm speaking to a unicorn, basically. He was a 17-year-old platoon sergeant at the Chosen Reservoir. So for years, I would tell him, Ray, somebody needs to write your story. 
And this went on for about a part eight, 10 years. And I've learned a little bit more every time I talk to him, you know, and uh, we can quite, quite decent friends for what it was worth. And he kept telling me, well, come on over to the shop. Let's get a cup of coffee. Sit down and have a talk. So in 2014, I decided to finally go take that invite and get a cup of coffee. When I walked out of there, I became his biographer. I did not see that coming. And I can tell you, I've been addicted to it ever since. You don't, you don't think you're going to find your motivation, your calling in life, that late in life. But I have been hooked ever since. So you're talking with him. You're learning more. You, you, you've known him for a decade. And you're pulling out bits and pieces. And you finally sit down with him. And he says, hey, let me tell you the story of my life, my, my military life. What were you thinking right. as he's talking these things through? Kid in the candy store, my eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger with each, each conversation. So to simplify things, instead of sitting back taking notes and trying to draft something up, I decided to do all this on video. That way I didn't have to take notes and it would always be readily available to go back when I got deeper into the research. That worked out really well, actually, over time. And we were cranking out. Once I've got the foundations done, and that was the hard part, getting the foundations of the information. Because I didn't want to put anything in the book that wasn't verified through a second or a third source. Now, having done that, that put me in contact with a lot of really good people. Bevan Alexander would be one. He was actual Army historian in Korea. He got there in 51. There was Ned Forney. His father did the boat operation where they pulled all the North Koreans out of Hungnam. Yeah, we, we've talked to Ned that, Forney. Yeah, excellent individual. They don't get much better than that. Then there's Elliot Sochillo, who was 15 when he joined the service. He was a POW for three years in Korea. I ran across him. Of course, there's Ted and Hal Barker and Lenita Brown. Ted and Hal run the KoreanWar.org page and the Korean War Educator by Lenita Brown. And both those were a wealth of information. So it allowed me to expand my understanding so that I could ask better questions and therefore put out a better product for lack of a better description. Absolutely. So you talked with Sergeant Major Cottrell. He, he's running a car dealership. You wouldn't think that with military service. Those are kind of divorced. What did you learn about Sergeant Major Cottrell that sort of just grabs you? Well, the first thing is work ethic. The man's up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. He goes into the shop, starts the coffee, gets out his newspaper, gets everything ready for the day. Then, you know, get all this work done before anybody else really showed up. That way he'd have the rest of the day to manage as he saw fit. But the man was virtually nonstop. I mean, granted, you might see him sitting behind his desk for hours at a time, but he was working, doing something 24-7, like a platoon sergeant might do in, in training. You know, up before your boys get up and go to bed after you put them down for the night, and you're just cranking the whole time. And I thought that would be amazing for a man of his age, needless to say. And that, that was one of the biggest things. The, the stories were kind of secondary, if you will. So let's talk about Sergeant Major Cottrell, because he has an amazing story. And it's one of those things that it's just you couldn't get away with some of the things today just because of the rules and regulations and 
validation of ages and and experiences and all these things. How in the world did he end up in the military? Who is our Major Cottrell? Well, he, he was a 16-year-old borderline incorrigible, which is a term that they used back then. And he got in trouble at school. And rather than going home and facing his grandparents, who he was living with at the time, he decided he would enlist. And the next thing you know, he's in the National Guard. Well, basic training, National Guard training, that only lasts so long. You know, he's out on his own. He still needs to make a living. And he's a very streetwise kid. He was a very streetwise kid, starting at an early age. I, I have a lot of similarities with him in, in terms of when I was a kid, you know, we had run to not just our neighborhood, but multiple neighborhoods, you know. You just, once you hit the street, you just kept going. If you need to make a dollar, you go make a dollar. If you need to make 50 cents, you go make 50 cents. And one thing led to another. He left the reserves and went full-time Army, even though he'd lied about his age to get in both. And the next thing you know, he's in Korea. I mean, it went from artillery training to tank training. And then they sent him to Korea, and they stick him with the 31st Infantry as an infantryman. You wouldn't think that a tanker would have to go be an infantryman, but I guess they were just throwing whatever they had in Korea. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've met guys that fought at the Battle of Chip Young Knee, as a matter of fact, with only four weeks of basic training. And the next thing you know, they're on the front lines. You know, this, this was a war of need, and it was a war on a budget, which some people call that. You know, the American public wasn't ready for another war after coming off World War II. There was a lot of downsizing going on. So it was a hodgepodge. I mean, they were throwing people everywhere. They were struggling to, to get Marines there. They were struggling to get the Army regiments up to par before sending them in. Some of them never really got up to par. So he's 17 years old. He's in Korea. He's fighting. This is 1950. What in the world is a 17-year-old to do in Korea? Well, most of it is ducking and dodging, I would imagine, for lack of a better description. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a, a big part of it. Staying alive is important. Ray share, Ray share would be a couple of things that most veterans would not tell a civilian. Like his, his very first kill, the first time he had to shoot an enemy combatant, and it turned out to be a teenager coming out of a, well, you could call it an aqueduct pipe or whatever. But the kid pops his head out, he's got a gun. Ray was able to pull his trigger first, you know, and I think that one defining moment created who he would be there on. When you talk to him, he said, I grew up in the Army, you know, I met a lot of great people and intelligent people that worked with me and they brought me up to speed. And he said, my, my life was Army. He did 21 years and he would have gone further had he not decided to let his wife finish her career out. He would have kept going. So he served in Korea, and then and then for another twenty years, he was uh, foundational right. seventeen in Korea. Now he got promoted pretty fast, if I recall. Yeah, he got a field promotion. He came off the ropes when when it came down the nets at Incheon. He was a radio man, and his helmet fell off and hit his captain squarely on the head, who had just took his helmet off. And when they got ashore, 
he told Contra, he said, you fell asleep. Says so you're going to be a bazooka man. So they gave him a bazooka and took the radio from him. And he was carrying two of them with the big backpack units, you know. And it just kind of went off from there. But by the time they cleared Seoul and went back to Pusan, and they're in bivouac in Pusan, that's when he got his upgrade. And evidently, I would think someone took the time to look at his background and found out, you know, he's National Guards tank. He's got, he's already been some infantry, which he wasn't planning on. But as far as moving people up in grade for you know, losses in the field, he must have been a prime candidate, even for his age. So he had a lot more training, a lot more experience, even at 17, than a lot of the other troops. And so he went from a private first class to to what? The platoon sergeant. So a sergeant first class? It's a notch above that. Uh, two notches above that, if I'm not mistaken. So he's now a 17-year-old master sergeant in Korea. He, he survives, but he has a lot of, of wartime experience. How long was he in Korea? He left in November of 51. So almost two full years. About a full year of, of combat experience. And then, and then, what does he do? Well, he, he comes home and decides, you know, he still likes it. He wants to stay in, and he ends up in Kansas, and he's training. He's, you know, teaching kids how to shoot guns and wear the uniform correctly, and pay attention to the rules, so on and so forth. That went on for a couple of years. He got married while he was there. Decided that it was a lot easier to stay as a career man. And it would be to get out and find a job. Although the money was very tight for, you know, a young couple with a child on the way. His next trip was back to Germany, in which case he ended up with the, the Blue Spaders, the 26th Infantry. And he stayed with them for the rest of his career until the last year or two, which he was back in Fort Knox in a training country in Seattle. So you're talking to him, learning all about his story, and, and you're like, this doesn't even sound real. I would be like, this doesn't sound real, but it is real. And so he's got all mm -hmm. this experience, and you decide, and, and you're like, I'm doing a biography. What were the most, I don't know, intriguing, the most interesting, the most outstanding parts of this entire story because a lot of times we don't get that individual story we get you know the heroes the medal of honors some some you know great events but i liked the story about sergeant major cottrell because it's a story about a young man finding his way essentially right 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 i could i could give you some dark stories and I'm, I'm like you, you know, you, you can read about those left and right all day long. There's always somebody wanting to put that out there. And there's there's a couple of pieces in there that, that are in line with that. Uh -huh. I would rather people read the book as opposed to me, you know, saying them. I don't, I don't want to spoil the book. But I will make a point about this. As I was novice to military history to a degree, and being involved with veterans and such. I made it a point to involve a lot of history in the book. And some may say I might have overdid it a little bit, but 
I don't think so. so. When you read the book, there's two out there's two outlines that you follow. You follow the path of Ray as he journeys through life through the military and afterwards. It's a true biography. Mm-hmm. But all the while, there's bits and pieces of the history that's going on around him. For instance, where he was when Kennedy was assassinated, uh, when Sputnik was shot into space. Uh, little, just little hints and pinks like that along the way that allow you to kind of add a little color to the issue, if you will. Absolutely, and, and, and sort of, of getting that whole story as a as a biography is also super interesting. Well, you you turn it out as a family heirloom. That was that was my biggest point. You know, it's in the worst case scenario. I told him when he talked me into doing it. I said, I, I don't know what kind of writer I'll be. I'll give you my best efforts. At, at the end, you're going to end up with a family heirloom that's going to last for generations way beyond your time. Uh, the interesting part about that is that there's a World War II veteran that I had met equally at work. And if I had my choices, I would have picked the World War II veteran's book to write first. As it would happen, Ray passed before Sam Arredondo passed. So I was able to finish Ray's book, get most of the research done for Sam's book, because Sam outlived him. Sam was a World War II veteran who lived up to the age of 98 and decided to let life go. He didn't like commit suicide or anything, but he was on dialysis at 98. And he finally just looked at his wife and said, I'm done. I'm tired. Just let me go. And about a week later, he was gone. So as it worked out, I was able to get both stories. This one, Ray's story is complete. Sam's story is still in process. So the, the Korean War veteran passed before the World War II veteran that you also are writing about. That's a, that's good happenstance, I guess. So let's talk about Sam Arondo. He He's another person that you're doing a biography on. We talked about Sergeant Major Cottrell. But Sam Arondo was a World War II veteran, served in Italy and, and some of those places, the Monte Cassino and some of the Anzio and some of those big battles. Let's talk about him. What what's, should we know about Sam Arondo? Well, first, first off, the name is Arredondo, A-R-R-E-D-O-N-D-O. Arredondo. See, I'm horrible at names. So thanks for letting me oh, know. My. I'd hate to say it wrong. Yeah, so am I. Don't feel bad. I misspelled it probably for three months before I finally got squared away. So, um, so how Sam, did you meet Sam, and, and how did that happen? Well, my job allows me to do that. I get to meet people from all over the country, virtually all over the world, different walks, lifestyles, and whatnot. But I've always had an opportunity talking to the military guys because they just tend to be a little bit more fun to talk to as far as I'm concerned. And in walks this guy. He's got a World War II slash Korea hat on. He's got a little tank pin in between both those words on his cover. This is a guy you have to at least say hello to. You know, a lot of people go up and they say thanks every time they see a military guy. I don't do that. I'm just like, how you doing? What's up? That's a nice cover you got there. And usually the conversation shoots off from there. And I've met some amazing people. Sam and Ray, in my mind, are two of the top. And I have met a lot. And I've really said a lot. So you met Sam. Sam. He's a World War II veteran. Mm-hmm. You met him. You started talking to him. 
What did you learn? Oh, my God. It's a litany, and I'm still learning it. I have never met a person that had been through so many major battles in one lifetime and still had this carefree, loving, religious life. You know, a lot of, a lot of people just get beat up in life, and Sam refused to be beat up. He would never identify himself as a victim of any sort, if you will. You know, and he grew up in South Texas. At the age of four, he was orphaned, did his genealogy and found out that his fourth great grandfather, someone had written a book about him. Wasn't that, that crazy? Oh, it's insane. And so for me, I felt like, you know, hey, I just found King Arthur. You know, I mean, his story really parallels that. You know, he, he comes from royalty. He doesn't know it, right? He's raised by aunts and uncles and no one's saying much about it. He's always been wanting to be affiliated with the military at a young age. He joins the military in 1941 in January. And he went through virtually every major battle you can think of in the North African and Italian campaign. I mean, if that wasn't enough, he figured he'd stick around for Korea and Vietnam too. I mean, that's just, it's unreal. I mean, the story just keeps going. Now, you don't hear about these folks too often because it's pretty rare, but somebody that served in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, he must have had an extensive and very full career. Oh, yeah, 29 years. 29 years. I've met very few that have crossed that border. There was, there was a few that, that went 38, that one that was 39, but you know they were part of JAG, which is understandable. One guy was 38, and I just spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. I wish I could tell you more about it. Did run into one guy with a two-star CIB pin, and there's probably, what, maybe 400 guys that can say that? Maybe less. Probably but less. There isn't a whole lot. <laughs> right. I mean, just it's just look at the draw that I've been able to come across these people, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I can't, write, I can't write a story on every one of them. So what I've decided to do is I pick one for every major engagement. Sam represented World War II. Red Cox represented Korea. I'll find somebody. I've got a few lined up for Vietnam. And I'll keep going because part of this is for myself. It's a learning curve. It's a history curve. It's a a way to give back for never serving, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's my reward out of it. You know, I get an education of a lifetime at no charge, and they get a family heirloom at no charge. And I think that's a great way to give back. Because like you said, you hear about these colonels and generals and Medal of Honor winners, but what about the common guy? What about the guy that never goes up above E6 or E7 or starts, you know, as a, teen, as a young teenager? You, know, you don't hear those stories too often. No, you sure don't. And that's one of the things I really liked about your book. So you have the one out right now, and you have another one coming. But the first one is From the Frozen Chosen to Churchill. It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. So if you're listening and you want to go check it out, go check it out. It's super easy to find. It's the biography of Command Sergeant Major Ray Hooker Cottrell. It's told to Bob Brooks. You can just Google those things. You'll be able to find it super easy. And we'll put a link up on the Coming Home Well Facebook page. So what is your new book coming out? I know it's about Sam. Tell us a little more about it. 
Well, the title that we settled on before he passed a couple of years ago is Arredondo, An Orphan Goes to War. And we toyed with the idea of saying Abuelo, you know, which is Hispanic for grand, grandfather on the battlefield. We're going to put Abuelo on the battlefield. So I'm going to let his wife make the final decision on that. We'll see how that plays out. Sam's story, like I said, goes from the North African campaign to the Italian campaign. He comes home. He does task force bridges in Alaska. He does the graveyard duty where they're bringing home, you know, bodies from the war-torn areas and, and giving them back to the families. He did that for about nine months. Goes back to Korea, doing the armistice era, and just keeps he's just a keep going kind of guy, right? So when he finally settled in Fort Knox, he had four kids, and spent a couple of stints in Germany, spent almost as much time away from wife and kids as he, as he did with wife and kids during his military career. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of folks early. listening that are totally on board with that, and they've, they've had that same experience with the 20 years of constant combat since 9-11. Right, right, right. And these guys are kind of special because when you, when you look at the war on terror, you know, you, these guys may have had, you know, one or two major engagements, even though they're going out and, and doing recons on a regular basis. As far as out-and-out battles, you know, it's a different type of war. If you look at the major battles for World War II in Korea, you know, Battle of Chipyongni, Chosen Reservoir, Pusan Breakout, World War II, you look at Kazarine Pass and Nisia. Then you're looking at Anzio and Salerno. Arno River crossing, all that kind of stuff. You know, these, these guys have put on more mileage than even if I had the best of travel money, I would never put in the mileage that these guys put in. And they're doing it for country. And they're doing it for themselves as well. Don't make no mistake about it. It's uh, definitely a big difference country. between the combat. You're seeing it in Ukraine. A lot of the, the folks that went to volunteer and they realized this is a full-scale conflict, and we did not do that during the War on Terror. We just didn't have that. Maybe a little bit on the first invasion of Kuwait and defense of, or defense of Kuwait into Iraq, but not nearly as significant as, as like the Ukraine folks are finding out. And these were big battles, you know, artillery and, and forces and, and sort of World War II tactics at times, all sorts of things. That are a little bit different, but he kept staying in. He was in World War II, and then Korea, and then Vietnam. All three significantly different fights. Correct. Significantly different. Sam's case, you know, if you look at the slideshow I sent you, there's some old photos of Monte Casino when it was still in shape, and there's a photo or two of it being blown up. Then there's the restoration photo and the graveyards that follow thereafter. There's there's a song out that has the line in it. You should have seen it in color. These guys did, and I just can't imagine myself being able to see these things and, and having to deal with these things and, and keep their wits about them because I don't think I would have been as successful as these guys have been. Not at all. So you started getting writing. You you said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna write and, and document these stories." But that isn't really what you started out to do. You're not an academic. You're not sitting in some ivory tower going, you know, we should document this. It was based on your conversations of somebody you met. Right, 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 right. 
And that's the beauty of it, though, because I come in, in it from a neutral stance and very little deep research. Well, that was in 2014. Now it's 2022. So the research is caught up, if you will. I've gotten to a point now where you can come up to me and say, hey, my grandfather was in the Korean War. He was with such and such battalion. He was here at such and such time. And I can go in there and say, okay, on this date he was doing this, this date he's doing that. I can timeline that travel for that individual. What I'm amazed at is how many kids are out there and they're asking stories now about their fathers and their grandfathers. And my hope is, I wish you would have got that information while they were still with you. Understandably, they don't always want to talk about it. In my experience, the less likely they are to talk about it, the deeper in the hole they were. I, me, I, I, yeah. been, I definitely me, see I've that. Yeah, my yeah, grandfather I've, was in I've World War II. Too. My my uncle, my godfather was in Korea, and they never wanted to talk about these stories. They never wanted to share. And I was younger when both of them passed, so I, I wasn't in the service yet, and I wasn't able to sort of capture those. I knew they were in service. My uncle, he was in the first cav, and he was the most proud. He had the big sticker in his truck, and you know, you knew he was a, a Korea War veteran, but I never knew what and how. And I wish I had captured those stories before they, they passed, but I didn't know at the time. And I just, you know, just sort of go along life. And I wish I had sort of dug them up or captured it in some way, uh, like you are doing, which I think are great exemplar stories about the sacrifice and, and really how they, they made it a career. And it's, you know, they're, they're heroes. But they're not the ones that you're going to read about in, you know, some, you know, encyclopedia or, you know, some Wikipedia article. You got to go dig a little bit and find these stories. So when is your book about Sam going to be ready, do you think? I'm hoping I have it done by the end of the year. 270 pages in and I feel like I'm only halfway. However, I have to truncate it down and then I have to go through and clean it up. If everything goes well, I'd like to have it by the end of the year. Worst case scenario, summer of next year at the latest. That's my goal. It's gone so, on way too long, but I had to learn three wars in order to write Sam's book, and that's that's been the, the crux of it. Yeah, that the, getting that context is super important. It also makes it a lot more challenging for the author to to do the biography justice. So you have the one book out. It is. From the Frozen Chosen to Churchill, the biography of Command Sergeant Major Ray Hooker Cottrell, as told to Bob Brooks. And you have the book about Sam coming out next year sometime. Folks, keep an eye out for it. We've talked a lot about why you wrote these books, how you met these men, how you got involved. But I'm sure there's something that I should have asked you but didn't. Okay, I can tell you this. If you go to Facebook, you're going to find a page there called from the Korean War's Chosen Reservoir. On that page, you will find a litany of people that are more than willing to help someone find out about their loved one. I probably, I would argue if there were 10 of the top best researchers on the subject of the most knowledgeable people you're ever going to come across on the subject of the Korean War, they're going to be there. They're going to either be there or they're going to see your post. Somebody will be able to help you 
get you further down the road. There's no guarantee that they're going to find out everything you want to know, but they should be able to guide you either in the right direction or give you answers that you didn't know. I'll give you a case example. I started that page in 2016. Ray Cottrell told me that when he crossed the ice at the Chosen Reservoir, he, he was in charge of six other men. He broke them up in groups. He sent one guy with three three other soldiers one way, and he took the other two and went his way. And I told him, I said, Ray, I'm going to get you those names. In 2016, when I opened up the Facebook page, I ran across a young lady named Robin Breeden. And her father, Mr. South, John South, he was one of those other names. And not only that, in his scrapbook, he had the names of the other five, but he didn't have race which I found kind of amazing. So this is what locked it in for me. There's a picture with Mr. South's personal belongings of this young Japanese boy that came around as a houseboy, I assume. And when I was going through Ray Cottrell's photos in his personal library, I found the same kid. And the pictures were taken literally seconds apart from each other from two different cameras on the same day in the same location at the same, virtually the same time. And that's what locked me in. Those were the names that Ray couldn't remember. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And we're on that page. We run into stuff like that all the time. Well, I wouldn't say all the time, but frequently enough. And when you're able to answer somebody's question like that, I mean, it's just a good feeling inside. And God knows you're making their day, which is rewarding in and of itself. The other thing I would add to it is that, and this is my personal opinion, if you write history with the intent of getting paid, you probably shouldn't be the one to write it. And so I don't do this for the money. I really don't. I just do it because I'm driven to do it. I'm motivated to do it. And the people that you meet along the way that help you along to get into that information, that makes it all worthwhile. And, and that's why I continue to do it until I'm till I can't do it no more. If I got anything to say about it, that's absolutely amazing. I, I love the 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 enthusiasm, but also the motivation to capture these stories of of the everyday military folks. Although they did have stellar careers, and there's a lot to to uh, sort of just sort of grab a hold of a very full career, military careers, and very full lives. Folks, we've been talking with Bobby Brooks. He's an author and historian. He's written a wonderful book. It's called From the Frozen Chosen to Churchill, the biography of Command Sergeant Major Ray Hooker Cottrell. Uh, He was able to sit with him and meet with him. He'd known him for a long time. He finally sat down with him and and captured on videotape so he could write this book, all his stories and, and that oral history that we just lose when when we people pass. But it's been captured. Go check it out. And what is the name of the Facebook group again? And we're going to share this on the Coming Home Well Facebook page when we do the when we post the interview. But I just want to make sure that everybody listening can go search for it right now if they're listening. It's the Korean War's Chosen Reservoir. It was it was started as just the Chosen Reservoir, but we've learned real quickly that once we started posting onto the page. You know, people were coming and asking questions and wanted to talk more about the Korean War in general. So we've adapted our mission statement to help fulfill those requests wherever possible. And it's taken a life on its own. It's, it's still growing. We're at 
4,500 plus members in over 40 countries. And we get new posts every day. Mr. Brooks, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well and sharing your your love of history and military history and capturing the, these amazing stories. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Follow us on Instagram at ComingHomeWell underscore BTS or on Twitter at ComingHomeWell. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming home well.